knows better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. You're listening to an audio teaching from Cross Connection Church Houston. We're a small church located in Pasadena, Texas, and it is our mission to save the lost, equip the saved, serve both the lost and saved, and to send the equipped. To this end, we teach through the Bible on a verse-by-verse basis, starting at the beginning of a book and working until the end. If you would like to learn more about our church, you can find us at connectedtojesus.org or check us out on Facebook at Cross Connection Church Houston. We pray that this teaching would grow you in the grace and love of Jesus Christ our Lord. at the life of Joseph, we've seen that Joseph has been suffering through many horrible things, none of which are his fault. He didn't do anything to deserve it. Uh, It starts with his brothers throwing him in a pit, wanting to kill him. They decide, you know what, let's just make some money off him. And so uh, they sell him as a slave. Uh, And then, you know, to Ishmaelite traders who then sell him again to Potiphar. And now he's a slave with Potiphar. And, you know, he still hasn't done anything wrong. But as he's a slave there in Potiphar's house and working hard for Potiphar, Potiphar's wife, you know, is attracted to him, uh, continues to make these advances to him. He continues to reject him. She accuses him of rape. He gets thrown into prison. Uh, and I just want you to try to put yourself in Joseph's situation. You've had all these horrible things done to you, none of which are your fault. Uh, and just kind of think about how you'd be feeling, how you would respond. I think for many of us, we would get very self-focused at this time, thinking, you know, I haven't done anything to deserve this. Why is this happening to me? Uh, oftentimes getting consumed with kind of the, the difficulty that we're going through, constantly thinking about how bad my life is. And, you know, um, I just don't want to continue with this anymore. But we don't see Joseph responding this way. He's in this situation. First, he's a slave. Then he's a prisoner. Uh, and he's innocent. And yet he's not having this kind of self-focus where it's all about himself. Why me? And this is something that we're really going to see here in chapter 40 is in the midst of these problems, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of imprisonment falsely, we see that Joseph is still not self-focused. And the reason that's going to be so significant is because we're going to see his ability to minister to other people because he's not so focused on his own issues and his own problems. And so as we go through this chapter, we're going to see five important things that Joseph is enabled to do because his eyes are off of himself, because he's not so focused on his own problem that he's actually able to minister in five different ways to other people. And I think it's a great example for us because when we go through trials and we go through problems, we go through difficulties, it can be so easy to just kind of get self-consumed with what's happening that we lose sight of the fact that we have other people who are going through issues or going through problems that we also, if we can take our eyes off our own issues, can help with theirs. And so let's see what we can learn from Joseph's example. Chapter 40, starting in verse 1, says this, It came to pass after these things that the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt offered their lord, their king of Egypt, and Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief butler and the chief baker. But he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison, the place where Joseph was confined. And the captain of the guard charged Joseph with them, and he served them, so they were in custody 
for a while. So notice here, Joseph's in prison, but he's not having a pity party. He's not just sitting in his own cell. He's not just thinking, why me? Why am I here? He's in this place, and he's faithfully serving. And as we looked at the end of last chapter, the Lord had blessed him. And he's risen up into this place of prominence within the prison where the prison guard was saying, you know what, Joseph, I'm going to let you run things here. I'm going to let a prisoner run things in prison. And God's been working. And now two new prisoners have arrived. We have the chief butler and the chief baker of Pharaoh. And these guys are thrown into prison. And they were in charge of what Pharaoh ate and what he drank. And the most important thing about their role was they would taste and drink everything to make sure it wasn't poisoned. And if it was poisoned, they would die instead of Pharaoh. And so they would taste the drinks, they would eat the food, then they'd wait a little bit and they'd see anything happening to you guys. Okay, you guys are good. All right, we'll serve it to Pharaoh. And so how many of you would like to have that job? You know, so what do you do for a living? Well, I eat and drink potentially poisoned food so that my boss will survive. Anyone want a job? We always have new openings. Uh, I mean, this is one of those where, you know, not the greatest job. Obviously, if people hate Pharaoh, then you're most likely going to end up dead. Now, we're not told why these two men are put into prison, but most commentators believe that there was an uh, attempt on Pharaoh's life, and so both these guys are the ones that are most likely, all right, one of you got to be guilty. You know, someone tried to poison me. You're the two guys that would have been used for this. And so I'm throwing you both into prison. And when we see the consequences uh, that one of these two suffer, it also leads us to believe that there was a pretty severe thing, which would be trying to kill Pharaoh. Uh, and so they're in prison. And notice the captain of the guard. Remember, he has given Joseph kind of the, the rule and the reign over the other prisoners there. He comes and he gets Joseph and he puts these guys into Joseph's care. And I want you to notice what we're told that Joseph's done. He says that Joseph served them. Now, this is where I want us to first notice something. If Joseph was in prison and he was just like, Lord, why am I here? I'm an innocent person. I'm a man of integrity. You know, Potiphar's wife kept wanting to sleep with me. I kept saying no. She accused me of something I didn't do wrong. Now I'm here, an innocent victim. You know, why? What's going on? And he could have just sat in his cell, crying out all day long, having his own pity party, just upset because life's not fair. But yet, if that was the case, he would have never been in a position or been willing to serve these other prisoners who are now in this prison with Joseph. There are five things in this chapter I want us to note about what Joseph was able to do for others because he wasn't focused on himself. And I want us to see that these same five things are things that we can do for others when we aren't focused on ourselves as well. And the first thing that Joseph was able to do for others because he wasn't focused on himself was he was willing to serve others. You know, it's really hard to serve someone else when you're just focused on your own service, serving yourself, your own needs, your own desires. It's hard to serve and meet other people's needs when you're preoccupied with your own needs. And I'm sure all of us have recognized that. You see that in marriage, you see that in families, you see that in relationships. When you're just focused on your own need and serving yourself, it becomes very difficult to be effective in serving others. But you know, something that we see over and over in the Bible is God telling us as His people to be those who serve, to be those who prioritize service to others. In Matthew 23, 11, we're told, 
but he who is greatest among you shall be your servant. You know, this comes when the disciples are, are you know, debating amongst each other, who's the greatest? And Peter's saying to John, I'm greater than you. And then, you know, Matthew's saying to John or Peter, you know, I'm the greatest. They're having this debate over who's greater. And then Jesus gives them this kind of lesson of, you know what, in the kingdom of God, things are different than in the kingdom of men. In the kingdom of men, yeah, you have masters who are the ones who are served, and we highlight them saying, oh, look at how great they are. They're being served. They're somebody. Jesus says, that's not so in the kingdom of God. Greatness in the kingdom of God is not being served. It's being willing to serve others. That's what makes you great before the Lord. Mark 10, 45, we're told, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Greatness in the eyes of God is to serve others, and that greatness was most powerfully displayed through Jesus. I mean, the one person who could actually come to earth and say, I deserve to be served. I deserve to sit back and sit on a throne, and for you to serve me would be Jesus, the creator of heaven and earth. He'd be the one who could actually say that, and it would be true. But he says, you know what? I didn't come to be served. I came to serve and to serve in the most powerful way of all, to give my life as a ransom for many. Jesus wasn't focused on himself. He wasn't focused on his needs. He wasn't focused on serving himself. If that was the case in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he's sweating drops of blood and he's saying, Father, if there's another way, let this cup pass. If it was all about Jesus, he would say, all right, forget it. I'm not going to the cross. I'm not going to be beaten. I'm not going to be mocked. I'm not going to deal with those things because it's all about me and serving me and taking care of my needs. He says, no, it's not about me at all. I'm willing to lay down my life in order to serve others. In order to effectively serve others, we have to die to ourselves. We have to change the focus from being on us to actually saying, you know what? I'm going to focus on the needs of others. So the first thing that Joseph was able to do for others because he wasn't focused on himself was he was willing to serve others. The second thing Joseph's able to do is in verses 5 and 6. Then the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt who were confined in the prison had a dream, both of them. Each man's dream in one night and each man's dream with its own interpretation. And Joseph came to them in the morning and looked at them and saw that they were sad. So after being in prison for a while, the butler and breaker, on the same night, they have a dream. And for this dream, we all dream, but this obviously was something that you know stood out to them. It was very unique. And the biggest thing that they struggled with is they didn't know what it meant. You know, They didn't have someone to interpret it. And so they both have this dream, and, and it's very vivid, and these things take place, and yet it's disturbing them, and they're sad because of it, because they don't know what this message to them means. And notice we're told that Joseph comes to them in the morning. So the night before they dream this dream, he's there in the morning to serve them, and he sees them, we're told, and he saw that they were sad. Once again, I want you to notice something. Because Joseph's not focused on himself, maybe he's having a bad day. Maybe he has a lot of reasons to be sad himself. He's unjustly in prison. But yet he's going there focusing on someone else's needs. He's not just looking at his own. So now he's able to see that the butler and the baker have their own needs. They have their own issues. They have some problem. It's obvious that they're sad. 
The second thing that Joseph was able to do because he wasn't focused on himself was he saw the needs and hurts of others. You know, Joseph's unjustly thrown into prison, and I'm sure for many of us, if we were in a situation like that, it would just be so easy to get consumed with our own problems, to just be looking and focused on what we have to deal with, seeing our own issues. And the problem with that is when we get our eyes focused just on our problems, just on what we're dealing with, just on the issues that we face, we're kind of blind to everything else. We're blind to what everybody else is dealing with. We're blind to what God is doing because all we're looking at, all we're focusing on is our issues and our problems and our hardships. There have been many times in my life where I've been blinded by the needs of others around me because I was just focused on my own. If I look back in in my marriage, I can see there are many times where I was blind to Jenny's needs because I was just looking at my own. I was just focused on my own. I was so focused on my own that I missed her hurting. I missed her sadness. I missed needs that she had that I could have come alongside to, to help meet, but yet I was oblivious because I was just focused on me. I've seen in my parenting that I've missed needs of my girls because I've been just so focused on looking at my own needs, my own problems, and they're there having issues, and I I don't even see them because I'm too focused on my own. As a pastor, as a neighbor, as a friend, I've missed seeing the needs in other people's lives because I was just looking at my own. You know, when you and I keep our eyes focused on ourselves, we're going to miss the needs of others. We're going to miss these opportunities that God says, here, I brought someone into your life for you to minister to them, for you to help them, for you to be there for them, for you to pray with them, and you've missed it because you're so focused only on what you are dealing with. You know, God wants us to keep our eyes on Him and not ourselves. And when our eyes are on Him and not ourselves, all of a sudden we're now able to see those that He brings into our life. So the second thing Joseph was able to do for others because he wasn't focused on himself is he saw the needs and hurts of others. The third thing Joseph is able to do is in verse 7, it says this, So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in the custody of the Lord's house, saying, Why do you look so sad? Notice what Joseph does. He doesn't just go and see the need but he takes it a step further and now he inquires about what the need is. He recognizes, hey, these guys are sad, but he has no clue why. He doesn't just walk out and say, sorry for them. I'm sorry they're sad. He wants to know why they're sad. And so he inquires about the need. You see, Joseph, when he sees their sadness on their faces, he had a choice to make. He could have chose to ignore their sadness. He could have chose to say, I got my own issues. He could have chose to say, you know, I want to go out and, you know, do some other things here in this prison. These guys can deal with their own issues. You know, he could have ignored what he saw, or he could have chose to say, I'm going to inquire about what I see. I'm going to find out what these guys are dealing with, what's making them sad. And so Joseph chooses to act upon what he saw. He inquires about why they're sad. He asks the question, why do you look so sad today? The third thing Joseph was able to do for others because he wasn't focused on himself was he inquired about the needs and hurts of others. 
You know, every day, I am sure, even in our own families, definitely at work, at school, with neighbors, with friends, we're going to see at least one person who's sad, at least one person who's in need, at least one person where it's just kind of clear on their face that they are dealing with something. And we're faced with now a choice. Am I going to ignore that person, ignore that need, ignore what is obvious to me, or am I going to do more than just see it, which was the great first thing that we see, but I'm actually going to now inquire about it. I'm going to ask them how they're dealing with this, what there's going on in their life. You know, there have been many times in my life where I saw lots of needs, and I chose to ignore them. I chose to ignore them sometimes because I just didn't want to deal with them. In marriage, if I'm honest, there are times when I saw my wife sad. I saw my wife you know, having a need for me to do something, maybe comfort, maybe do something else. And I just didn't want to deal with it. I was just being selfish. And I said, you know what? I'm not going to even inquire because I don't even want to know and hear and have to deal with all the things. And so I just ignored it. There have been times where I have ignored things because I didn't really care. There have been times I've ignored things because I was just focused on my own need. I care more about myself than you. Sorry, I'm just going to not worry about what you're going through because I'm too focused on what I'm going through. I'm sure all of us have chosen to ignore a need or hurt that we saw in someone else's life. But that's not how God wants us to respond. That's not how He responds to us. His heart is breaking. His heart is open. He wants us to be that way for others when we see needs, not to ignore but to inquire. And imagine what would happen. Imagine the doors that might open to you if tomorrow, at work, in the home, with a neighbor, at school, in a coffee shop, wherever you find yourself and you saw someone who was just clearly hurting, someone that just was obviously struggling, and if you were to come up and just, you know, how are you doing? Can I pray for you? Is there anything going on in your life that I can talk with you about? Some people might think, well, you're a stranger, you know, I don't want to hear anything. Other people, there might be your friends and family. But imagine the doors that might open. Well, actually, yeah, I'm going through this, this, and this, and I really could use some prayer. And all of a sudden, you have this open door to minister to this person and point them to the Lord. You know, I believe inquiring into how a person is doing is a very important part, not only of ministry, but also evangelism. It's such a great open door. You find out, you know, someone's hurting, someone's struggling, and all of a sudden they start opening up and you get to tell them, you know what, there's someone who can meet your need. There's someone who loves you, who gave his life for you. It just opens up the perfect opportunity to point them to Jesus Christ and share what Christ has done and help them see, you know what, you're broken, you're in need, you got problems, you're hurting, but the Lord can fix you. He can heal you. He can save you. But people need to see we actually care about them. And I think that's one of the big things of inquiring. Because when we inquire, we say, you know what? I care. I actually want to know. Now, sometimes we say, how are you doing? But we don't really want the answer. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a sincere, like, you know what? Yes, I want to know how you're doing. I want to know what you're going through. I want to be here for you. I want to pray for you. I want to help you in any way I can. It's been said, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And I think there's a lot of truth to that statement. I think a lot of Christians are very heady in their understanding of things, and we throw out biblical truth and knowledge, but we don't really care about the people we're talking to. 
And they catch on to that real quick. Sometimes we're sharing the gospel. And you realize, you know what, the person sharing the gospel doesn't actually care for the people that he's sharing it with. And they see that. And I think the reality is when we truly care and we're inquiring about what people are going through, all of a sudden it opens up doors where they're like, you know what, I want to know what you have to say. Now when you share the gospel to me, I'm going to listen because I realize you actually care enough about me to hear me share with you what I'm dealing with, what I'm going through. And I want to throw out a challenge to all of us, myself included, that this week we would take some opportunities. That we would see people that are going through struggles and that we would have the boldness, and maybe they're even strangers, to say, you know what, how are you doing? Can I pray for you? And the worst thing that they could say is, don't talk to me or go away, okay, fine. And especially if it's family or it's friends or it's neighbors that you maybe just know a little bit, it opens up that door. You know, I would like to know how you're doing. And I'm here for you, and I want to practically help, and I want to pray for you. Is there anything I can do? And watch what the Lord will do when you make yourself available to meet the needs of others. So the third thing Joseph was able to do for others because he wasn't focused on himself is he inquired about the needs and hurts of others. The the fourth thing we see here is in verse 8. And he said to them, We each had a dream, and there is no interpreter of it. So Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God. Tell tell them to me, please. So the reason the butler and the baker are sad is because, hey, we had this dream and we don't know what it means. And there's no one to interpret it. There's no one to tell us what it means. And so uh, we're just confused and we don't know if this is good. We don't know if this is bad. And and so we're, we're saddened. And notice Joseph's answer to their problem. He says, do not interpretations belong to God. Tell them to me, please. Joseph is saying, you know what? God is the one who can interpret your dreams. God is the one who can meet your needs. God is the one that you need right now. He's the one that you should be looking to. No matter what problems we find ourselves in, no matter what problems we find other people in, we need to realize the ultimate answer, the ultimate thing that we need to point them and ourselves to is God, because He is the one, the only one, that truly can meet the needs that we have. Joseph realized that God is the interpreter of dreams. He's not saying, hey man, I have this great ability, let me do this for you. Hey, God can do that. You need God right now. That's your problem. You're sad, and the answer to your sadness is God. But you know what Joseph also realized? God might want to use him. God might want to use him as his mouthpiece, and so that's why he says, hey, tell me the dream. He could have said, you guys should pray. You should pray to God, and he could answer your prayer and tell you what your dream means. He could have said that, but he said, you know what? Tell me, because I want to be a part of God using me to help you in this area of need. The fourth thing Joseph was able to do for others because he wasn't focused on himself was he looked to God to meet the needs and hurts of others and was willing for God to use him to meet those needs. You know, when it comes to the needs and hurts of others, we need to realize ultimately God's the the answer, not us. If we're pointing people to us, if we're getting people dependent on us, if we're like, oh, I'm so wise and I can give you all the answers you need, if we start thinking that it's me, then we got problems and they have even bigger problems if they believe that. We need to ultimately realize, hey, God is the answer. 
God is the one who can meet the need. God is the one who's going to give wisdom. God is the one who's going to give healing. God is the one who's going to give interpretation. God's going to do it all. So we first have to start with that. It's not me and my strength and my ability and my wisdom that is anything that you need. What you need is God. But we don't want to stop there. And too many Christians do. Well, you know, let me just point you away from, I'm not going to be a part of it because I, I'm, I can't be a part of this. Well, no. Notice that Joseph also recognizes, yes, God is the one who's going to do it, but yet maybe he wants to use me for it to happen. Maybe he wants me to be a part of meeting the need of these men. Maybe he wants me to be the mouthpiece. Maybe he wants me to be the hands. Maybe he wants me to be the feet. Actually, if you look through the Word of God, you realize that's how God most commonly works. Rarely do we see God doing something completely apart from man. He does do some things miraculous all with an angel or just by himself, and he doesn't include a person. But normally, usually, when God wants to get something done, he includes us. Now, sometimes I wonder why. I think, God, you could probably do it much more effective not using us because we're such screw-ups sometimes, but the Lord's like, you know what? I want you to be a part of the process. So there's a need. Yes, I can meet it, but you know what? I'm going to use you to do it. I'm going to give you what is necessary to meet the needs of these individuals. God could have spoken the interpretation directly to the butler and the baker, but he says, I'm going to speak it through Joseph. Joseph, you're going to be my mouthpiece. I'm going to use you in this process. We need to realize, you know what? Yes, God, you are the one who can meet the needs, but are we willing for him to use us? Are we willing to say, Lord, yes, I want to be a part of it. If you want to use me to speak, if you want to use me to give wisdom, if you want to use me practically to serve, if you want to use me in some way, I'm here, I'm available. Give me the strength, give me what I need, and I will go forth as your ambassador. So the fourth thing Joseph was able to do for others because he wasn't focused on himself, as he looked to God to meet the needs and hurts of others and was willing for God to use him to meet those needs. The fifth and final thing that we see that Joseph does here is in verses 9 through 19. Verse 9 says this, And the chief butler told his dream to Joseph and said to him, Behold, in my dream a vine was before me, and in the vine there were three branches. It was as though it budded, it blossomed, shot forth, and its clusters brought forth ripe grapes. Then Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. And Joseph said to him, this is the interpretation of it. The three branches are three days, and within three days, Pharaoh will lift your head and restore you to your place. And you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand according to the former manner when you were his butler. But remember me when it's well with you. And please show kindness to me. Make mention of me to Pharaoh and get me out of this house or prison. For indeed, I was stolen away from the land of the Hebrews. And also I have done nothing here that they should put me into the dungeon. So after Joseph asked to hear the dreams of the butler and the baker, the butler decides to go first and he shares his dream. And he says, you know, I have this dream of a vine and three branches and it brought forth grapes. And Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I squeeze these grapes into this cup, and I, and I give this cup to Pharaoh. Well, what does the dream mean? So the Lord 
speaks to Joseph and gives him the interpretation. And then Joseph turns and is used by God to interpret this dream for the butler. And he says, you know what? The three branches, they represent three days. And it's good news. In three days, Pharaoh's going to restore you back to your position. You're going to be serving him and drinking possible poison again. But you're going to be back in this role in serving Pharaoh. But then Joseph says, you know what? When that happens, when you get back on Pharaoh's good books and you're serving Pharaoh, could you please remember me and tell Pharaoh about me and try to get me out of this prison because, you know, I was unjustly sold in the slavery. I haven't done anything to deserve to be here. And this is the situation I find myself in. And, you know, you're, you're, you're right there with Pharaoh. He could get me out. Will you remember me? Well, the baker sees the good interpretation of the butler's dream, and now he wants to share his dream and find out what his dream means. And so let's see what that is in verse 16 through 19. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was good, he said to Joseph, I also was in my dream, and there were three white baskets on my head. In the uppermost basket were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh, and the birds ate them out of the basket on my head. So Joseph answered and said, This is the interpretation of it. The three baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head from you and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat your flesh from you. So the baker shares his dream, and I'm sure he's thinking, wow, man, the butler had a really good report. Three days, he's out of this prison. Awesome. Let me share what my dream is. And he says, hey, I got three baskets of food, and they're on my head, and they're for Pharaoh, and these birds come in, and they start eating the food that are in the basket on my head. What does it mean? And once again, Joseph seeks the Lord. The Lord gives him the interpretation, and then he shares this interpretation with the baker. Joseph said, the three baskets represent three days. In three days, Pharaoh's going to lift off your head and hang you from a tree, and the birds are going to eat your flesh. Now, I'm sure when Joseph heard the interpretation of the butler's dream of three days, you're going to get out of here. Three days, you're going to be restored into your job. So you get, man, this is great news. I can't wait to share this. But then he gets this interpretation. And I'm sure there was a very different feeling of, I don't want to say this. <laughs> I don't want to tell this guy that in three days he's going to be hung and his dead corpse is going to be eaten by birds. But notice something important here about Joseph. He's faithful to tell the butler the truth when the news is good, but he's also faithful to tell the baker the truth even though the news is bad. And I think one of the reasons for this is because Joseph isn't focused on himself. If you're focused on yourself and you've got to share bad news, oftentimes you're not willing to do it because you don't know how that person's going to respond. And, oh, if I tell him he's going to be dead in three days and he's going to be eaten you know, by birds, you know, he's not going to like that. And I want him to like me and I don't want to share this. And he might get upset with me. He might try to hit me. You know, he might do something. And so I'm going to keep this one to myself because I'm more concerned about me than I am about him. The fifth thing Joseph was able to do for others because he wasn't focused on himself was he was willing to tell others the truth about the needs and hurts that they had. You know, sadly, many people today, they're happy to share good news. Many Christians are happy to tell good news to people, but when it comes to the bad news, they won't say it. 
Oh, yes, I'll, I'll tell everyone Jesus loves them. Oh, yeah. You know, I'll tell them the promises of God in the Bible. I'll tell them the, the good stories of, you know, redemption and overcoming. And I, I'm happy to tell you that. But when it comes to telling you you're a sinner, when it comes to telling you that if you don't repent of your sin and get right with God, that you're going to be condemned for all eternity in hell, yeah, yeah, I'm not going to tell that news. I'm not going to share the bad news. I'm only going to share the good news. I know they're both truth. I know they both come from the Bible. I know that God says both of them, but I'm only comfortable with sharing the good stuff. And the reason that is, is because I'm more focused on myself. And I want to make sure everyone likes me. I want to make sure everyone receives me. I don't want to be persecuted. I don't want to be labeled. I don't want to have people upset with me. And so I'm not going to tell them the bad stuff so that I can be received well, so that I can be accepted within my culture, and so that no one is going to persecute me or look down upon me. And I'll just share the good stuff. And sadly, we have a lot of Christians like, sadly, we have pastors like that, and their whole ministries are like that, where, hey, we're just going to share the things that are going to make you feel good, but we're not going to tell you the whole truth. We're not going to tell you that you have a sin problem. We're not going to tell you your need to get right with God. We're not going to tell you about the consequences that are ultimately eternal in hell. And the reason for it is because we're more concerned about ourselves than we are about you. Because in all reality, if you truly were more concerned about that person, you tell them the bad news. Because we know that's the only way that you're going to actually get saved. If I truly was concerned about your eternity, I'd be willing to tell you you're a sinner. I'd be willing to tell you what is coming if you don't get right with Christ. We need to love people enough to not just share the good news, but also the bad. And be willing to say, you know what? I'll be rejected. I'll be thought of poorly. I'll have labels thrown at me and accept them and be happy to say, you know what? I'm still going to stand for truth. I'm still going to stand for what God's word says. And you can call me bigoted. You can call me homophobic. You can call me this, that, the next thing. But the reality is I'm going to stand for truth regardless. And unfortunately, I think because of our focus on ourselves. Many people have missed this very important reality, and we're not making as much of an impact in the world as we could. We're not shining like we could because we're not revealing to the world what they need to hear the most, and that is their need for Christ because they're sinners. The fifth thing Joseph was able to do for others because he was, wasn't focused on himself was he was willing to tell the truth about the needs and hurts of others. Now, the butler and the baker, they don't really know if Joseph is hearing from God. They don't know if these interpretations are real or not. I mean, if you come to me and say, hey, I dreamed this dream, and I say, well, it means this. The only way you're going to really know if that's true is if it comes to pass. And so Joseph gives them these interpretations, and they're thinking, okay, maybe you're right, maybe you're wrong. I'm sure the butler was thinking, I hope you're right, and the baker was thinking, I hope you're wrong. But now we're going to see, were these really from God? Was this true? Is this something that's going to come to pass? Because he says three days, it's going to happen. So he put a time limit on it. Verse 20. Now it came to pass on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, that he made a feast for all his servants, and he lifted up the head of the chief butler and of the chief baker among his servants. Then he restored the chief butler to his butlership again, 
And he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand, but he hanged the chief baker, as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief butler did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. So Joseph gives these two interpretations. Three days for both of you. Butler, you're going back to your job. Baker, you're going to get hung and die. Both happen. That's exactly what transpires. So God did speak through Joseph, and Joseph gave a true interpretation. But remember, when Joseph got excited, hey, you know what? You're going back to your job, Butler, or Baker, Butler, yes. And when you're there, remember me. Tell Pharaoh about me. I'm unjustly in prison. You know, share about my situation. Maybe he'll let me out. But notice what we're told at the end of this chapter in verse 23. Yet the chief butler did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. So Joseph gives him this wonderful interpretation. I'm sure he's so happy. Yes, three days I'm going to be released. I surely hope that you really did hear from God. And then it happens. And he has this big party because he's gets released while it's Pharaoh's birthday and he's all excited and he forgets completely Joseph. Doesn't mention him to Pharaoh. Doesn't say anything about him. The butler forgot Joseph. But I think something important to notice is God didn't. That's the theme that we've seen here with Joseph's life. From the time that his brother sold him into slavery to now, we see that phrase over and over again. God was with him. God blessed him. God was with him. God blessed him. God was with him. And right now when he's thinking, okay, here's a tangible guy who works with Pharaoh, who has all the power to release me from prison. Surely if he remembers, things could go good. And oh, he forgets me. But the good thing is God didn't. God was always with him. And I'm sure that this is one of the reasons that enabled Joseph to take his focus off of himself. Because when you're in prison unjustly and you got nobody, you don't think anybody's with you, you don't think anybody's on your side, that's a really difficult place to just say, you know what, I'm not going to focus on me. I'm not going to have my eyes on my own problems, my own issues. You really have to have a confidence that there's someone with you. God is with you, and He's going to take care of you, and He's going to bless you, and maybe, you know what, everybody else is going to forget, and no one else is going to visit, and no one else is going to do anything, but you know what, I have God. And because of that, I'm able and I'm willing to stop focusing on me and to say, Lord, I'm just going to look to you and be available to help meet the needs of others. And we see that in Joseph's life. A man who you could easily say, you know what, I think you're justified in being self-focused. I think you're justified in just sitting in your prison cell, whining and upset. Look at all the unjust things that have happened to you, but yet he keeps his eyes on the Lord. He's able to see the needs of others. And he's a great example of five things that we can do for others when we aren't focused on ourselves. We can willingly serve others. Notice I put willingly because just because you aren't focused on yourself and you see other needs, doesn't mean you're actually going to do it. So the challenge is not just, hey, I can serve you, but am I willing to serve you? We can see the needs of others, which we're often blinded to. We can inquire about the needs of others, which we often ignore. We can look to God to meet the needs and hurts of others and ask God to use us in the process. And we can tell the truth about the needs and hurts of others. 
So let's take our eyes off ourselves. Let's take our eyes off our problems. And let's just say, Lord, I want my eyes on you. I want to focus on you. I want to trust my life with you. And you know what's going on. You know the hurts. You know the pain. You know the struggles. And I leave them with you. Jesus tells us something wonderful. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me because I'm lowly and gentle. He's saying, you know what? Bring me your junk. Bring me your problems. Bring me your issues. I'll give you rest and take my yoke. It's light. It's easy. Give me your problems that are heavy and weighing you down. And watch what I'll do in your life. And also watch how I will open you up to be available to use you to help meet the needs of others around you.